Welcome to Central Queensland Region's Leading and Learning Podcast. These are informal conversations between leaders about educational issues and initiatives. We share them to inspire and inform you so that you may have a greater influence through your instructional leadership. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land across Central Queensland on which we play, learn and work. I respect and honour Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educators I work alongside of. I recognise the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land and commit to building a brighter future together. Hi, I'm Trudy Graham, your host for the show. I'm an Assistant Regional Director in Central Queensland based in Rockhampton. And today, joining me for this episode is Kath Dixon. Kath is currently Acting Director State Schooling. Welcome back to the show, Kath. Thank you, Trudy. I'm excited to be here in a new capacity this time. Great to have you. And alongside Kath, we've got Susan Spackman. Susan is one of our Principal Advisors Teaching and Learning based in Emerald. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks, Trudy. It's great to be on here today. Well, and it's great to have you, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We're going to be talking all things curriculum and pedagogy, but before we launch into that, I'd love to start with hearing from you both. What are your best hopes for the remainder of the year? Kath? So, Trudy, in terms of best hopes, it's around curriculum, curriculum and pedagogy, really, and particularly around the learning area of English making sure that our students, particularly our students who are at risk or our, our vulnerable students, our students with disabilities, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students uh, and our out-of-home care students are achieving, but not just limited to those students. I'm really keen to, to watch and see what we're doing in terms of our gifted and talented students. They are also at risk of disengaging or um, becoming school refusers if we don't engage those students too. So using English as that gauge to see how we're going with the curriculum, the teaching and learning and the pedagogical practices that go with that engagement. Thanks, Kath. Susan, what are your best hopes for the remainder of the year? Look, my best hopes are just to not get COVID. I've done really well um, up until this point to maintain stamina at work and to show up every day. And I would hate for, for that to get thrown right now in the middle of just try, just starting to get some traction back with a lot of schools that I'm working with at the moment. Yeah. I'm going to say I want to play snap with both of you. I also want to continue to be COVID free. And um, Kath, I'm with you too. I'm uh, looking forward to ongoing work with my schools and particularly following our professional learning experience with the Reading and Writing Centre and really looking at how we can uh, teach reading through the Australian curriculum and do it really well so that all of our students are absolutely achieving at their best. Oh, Trudy, I was just going to say, bouncing off that too, the other aspiration is around socially, emotionally well-rounded students who feel comfortable in this, their own skin and, you know, are in a good mindset and mental health to be able to engage with the curriculum. So really looking at the, the three dimensions of the curriculum and the general capabilities around how we can enable, particularly in this COVID time when 
you know, everyone is a little maybe anxious or stressed. Um, we started that, you know, the podcast today around the anxieties of keeping healthy and well and all that sort of stuff and how how can we use the curriculum, the general capabilities to, to support us in that, that growth and learning together. Yeah. And Kath, I think that's a great segue into our conversation because this episode is about the curriculum and pedagogy portfolio in our series of portfolios across the region. And as the Director of State Schooling, you actually have the strategic lead in this space. So Kath, I'd love to hear from you. What's the work in this portfolio right now? Trudy, the beginning of the year, we started with pedagogy and then the term one lead learning days for principals and the virtual component for the middle leaders was around that inquiry process into pedagogical practices that schools are currently using and what what's working well, you know, for their context, for the students in their class. So we, we've painted the seeds around pedagogy and that's the slow boat. We're going to take the time in that space, but the momentum at the moment is around moderation. So the regional operation plan asks us to look at reviewing and refining the before moderation processes for the region. And we have started an intentional collaboration group that encompasses a range of different people in that group. So we've got you know, principal advisors teaching and learning, a senior guidance officer, early years HODs. So we've got a range of people who are looking at curriculum through different filters. And when we come to the moderation processes, it's really understanding your students at that time of the planning, but really having a deep understanding of the curriculum and the curriculum elements that go with that. So reviewing, refining our regional moderation process, but then engaging our school moderation leaders to test, trial, give us feedback, work with us on examples. I'm really excited by um, what I see the, the potential of us working together across portfolios and across region and school to be able to give some real clarity I had the pleasure of watching Susan present a session there last week and and we invited a few of our other principal advisors teaching and learning to look at how to unpack or develop a marking guide. And like for me, so much hangs from the quality of the marking guide. If we can get the marking guide right at the time of before moderation, we're well set on a, a good journey to get the teaching and learning, you know, appropriate to the needs of the curriculum and the learning styles of the students and their learning needs. So, Susan, I'd love to bring you in here and hear about some of that work. Yeah, thanks. Um, I just want to add to what Kath was talking about in that development of the marking guide. The important part with that was unpacking the curriculum and the importance of aligning the curriculum elements to the aspects of the achievement standard that the teachers are teaching and assessing for that unit of work. And it's when you unpack those curriculum elements and look at the general capabilities in particular, you can see that alignment into the 21st century skills so that we are already setting students up for that career development really early on from prep 
but it's drawing that out and making sure that it's part of their intentional teaching, which is the important part, as well as understanding how we're measuring that learning. Makes really easy to see the know and the do component of the, the teaching process. Um, and in terms of the marking guide going with the task sheet or the, the assessment piece, looking at what the conditions are and making sure the conditions are relevant to the age level and the, the task and not bringing conditions, say, from senior schooling into early years and that sort of thing. So pitching yeah. things at the right level is key. I think sometimes we put other expectations on our students that um, when we really look closely at the curriculum, and it can be, you know, as simple as how do we define the word right or what does read mean? So even having that clarity around those glossary of terms and the meanings of those, you know, the use of the cognition. So sometimes in the past we've looked at Bloom's taxonomy and gone, okay, for an A or a B, we've got to go a higher process. It's not what the um, curriculum is actually asking us to do. We look, you know, closely at what the achievement standard says and the cognition in that, and then keep that keeps consistent across your B's and A's and it's the complexity and the context that change it. So I just there, there's so much more learning as a as a group we can do around the depth of the curriculum and the answers are there. We just learn in that space together. And there's real power in that marking guide, isn't there? As you just mentioned, the the depth in the detail. If you get that right, the rest just follows. Like that that was my big my biggest aha moment last week was, you know, we can get caught up in a whole lot of other things, but if we actually put a lot of time and effort into that marking guide and get that alignment right in the first place, and the teachers are doing it, I think that's really important. Um, in what Susan modelled for us was the actual hunting through then for once you've got clarity around what you're looking at and then the alignment to, you know, the content descriptions. Susan, did I get it right? We <laughs> sure did because in the marking guide what we write are the descriptors. Yeah. And the meta language is really important because we are talking about two different things there. That meta language, having that meta language to be able to talk about curriculum together and know, oh, when you're talking that, oh, yeah, I can visualise it, I can see what it means. So if a teacher is looking at the achievement standards and then doing the hunt for the content descriptions or elaborations that give the depth to that learning or the complexity of context, that's, that's important. That's what the teacher needs to know because then that's what they need to teach and, you know, assist the students in learning through a multiple opportunities and multiple opportunities to demonstrate their learning too. And can I just add on to what Kath is saying there in that when we go through the process of um, supporting teachers through a before moderation, we go that little bit deeper in that we look into the description. For example, in English, for what types of text? You're looking into the description in mathematics for your proficiencies. Then you're going and you're looking into your general capabilities to determine, okay, so what would be an appropriate condition for a year two student if they have an oral language assessment? You know, what would be an okay condition for those students? So there's a little bit more that goes into it beyond the marking guide as well. And all of these, all this, all of these bits of information that teachers 
extract from the curriculum when they're looking through helps them to make those decisions around how best to apply the differentiation to the individual students that they have in front of them. Susan, I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that opportunity at the front end to, you know, address barriers to access and participation. The important part that we get from understanding the curriculum is really having an understanding around what it is the students need to know and need to do. Then we're looking across each of those discrete skills and we're looking to see how can we make it so that every student can access that? Because those barriers may not apply right throughout the unit, it might just be some things. So what things and then what can I do to make it so that the student can access? Is that by bringing in assistive technology? Is it just giving them a few more extra teaching episodes with one person just to, just to help them along with understanding that concept? You know, it could be a range of things, but it really just depends on the needs of the student. But unless you understand where to pull that from in the curriculum and have a really deep understanding of what it is the students need to know and do with that knowledge, it does make it hard to be able to apply the, the right supports. Another example would be, um, you know, what's the language demand of that task too? So particularly for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students, standard Australian English might be their third, fourth or fifth language in their kit bag. So what are the language requirements of the task that we're setting? And does it have to be in Australian standard English or can it be presented in different ways? So really understanding the mode of demonstration. Sorry, can I just add to that, Kath, just that part about um, working out the language and literacy demands. It's also knowing where to go in the curriculum to find out what that demand is and knowing and knowing that you can, from the content descriptions or the elaborations, pull that out through the general capabilities and it will tell you what that literacy demand for that particular um, content description is. So it's, I guess it's more supporting schools to have the process to do that. They don't have to know everything about the curriculum, but if they have a process that supports them, to be able to find the information that they need, and that's in that before moderation, then we're better equipped for teachers to continue that, that learning themselves. Yeah, not being done to or for, but being doing it with them. So you mentioned earlier that link between the general capabilities and 21st century learning skills. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the linkage from kindergarten through primary and secondary school and into our senior years. Yeah, and that's why we're, we're reviewing our before moderation processes for schools. It's because when, um, you know, students enter kindy and they're, they're exposed to those learning and development areas, it's preparing them for prep. Then they're going into prep where they're being taught the Australian curriculum and the link from in the Australian curriculum through to the 21st century skills in 11 and 12, it's all about equipping students with the demands of higher education, work, life and, you know, being in the community when they finish school because we know that we're in a rapidly changing world that can change any time as we've just seen over the last few years. 
So it and it's about setting them up for a career later on. So in the general capabilities, for example, you've got um, your personal and social general capability where threaded throughout that supports students to explore themselves, what they like, appreciate their interests, recognize their strengths, so that in year 11 and 12, they're maximizing their interests and preferences and strengths for that career later on. And then when, when we come down into, you know, looking at how they're gonna make life choices in the critical and creative thinking general capability, they're exploring decision-making processes, they're starting to make choices within their um, their own school life, which brings them into 11 and 12, where they're starting to navigate their own career pathways. And so there is direct alignment from those general capabilities in the Australian curriculum that are taught right from prep into year 10, which supports um, everything that happens in 11 and 12 with those uh, 21st century skills of critical thinking, creative thinking, communicating, there's collaboration and teamwork and their personal and social skills as well as their ICT skills um, so that they can make their career choices beyond schooling. Trudy, the other thing there too, when you talked about the range of curriculum in the this year's release or the re-release of the whole school approach to differentiation, the word curriculum is now inclusive of a, all ranges of curriculum so it that document doesn't specify which curriculum leaving it global the conversation that we've had recently is in terms of when we talk about the the CAF document curriculum assessment reporting framework for p12 where does the curriculum for kindies fit in that space too and as at regional level we incorporate when we talk curriculum we are incorporating the kindy side of it. Linda, I hope you're listening and you're hearing that. We're av definitely advocating for that connection across the different divisions. In terms of the curriculum, the work that the principal advisors teaching and learning is really trying to make that seamless right through from kindy right through into the senior and, and through the pathways. So for our schools that have state delivered kindy, the QKLG, as they call it, or Queensland Kindy Learning Guidelines, is the core document informing their curriculum planning with that lovely transition into our Australian curriculum informed by the P12 CARP, as you said. I was just going to say, Trudy, the other new agenda, I suppose, that's come into the curriculum space is the RRE, the Respectful Relations Work, and particularly, you know, within the HPE curriculum and the, the social and personal capabilities. The work that Michelle Botmer over time will lead for us in that space um, will also add depth to the work that we're doing around that curriculum space and the, the looking at the whole child. The revised Australian Curriculum version 9 is on our doorstep. What's yep. our advice to schools right now in that space? Trudy, it's, it's for familiarity. People can look at it, they can start, you know, they can go, okay, I can see there's going to be the, the time where we're going to need to fully implement in 2024. Next year, the system, so our department will look at a whole lot of other resources that will go with the curriculum and will enable us to 
make better decisions to build our own capability around the changes to that curriculum. So this year, the word is just really just, you can have a look at it, know it's there, know it's coming. It's not a new curriculum, it's just a, re it's a revised curriculum. And that's really important to know. Like it's just, you know, Susan and I were talking about it yesterday. If, if you've got the processes set, your moderation processes, your processes for feedback, your processes for collegial engagement, changing the curriculum in response to the revised curriculum won't be a major thing because you're just putting that different content within the process that you've already got established. So C2C is doing a whole uh, lot of work in, in particularly for English and maths. I think they're going to start with those two learning areas and they're very keen for our feedback and um, regional supports and working in that space. So it's a a deliberate decision and strategy to support the revised curriculum and again it's one of those slow slow down you know just like we talked before about pedagogy we slow it down curriculum version nine slow it down don't don't go rushing in the other thing i just probably it's interesting to to think about too when we have the version nine curriculum fully implemented I'm interested to see what impact that has on our data and whether we have a new data series because, you know, if we're looking at is it oranges and apples, the version 8.4 compared to version 9, where will we see the differences reflected in the data um, as we embrace the new curriculum? So that's probably my curiosity or wonderings in that space. So you mentioned pedagogy. I'd love to loop back there. What work should schools be investing in right now in terms of pedagogy? Yeah, so what schools should be doing now in terms of pedagogy is really making sure that they've got some really good processes in place to support teachers to be able to identify the pedagogical approaches based on the nature of the curriculum through the learning areas that they're planning for. Because if they can do that now, then when there is an updated curriculum, they can just use that same process and then update it. So in terms of the other pedagogical work schools would be doing now is looking at um, the inquiry in terms of what is working well, what is working, you know, what's working well for one year level may not be the same thing that's working well for another year level, What's working well is reflected in the disaggregated data. So does that show, you know, if we're talking about data-informed practices, it's really doing that scan and assess into practices that are engaging students, but engaging students with a purpose. So there's actually the learning in it. So we can engage students in activities they want to do, but is that the, the learning? And you would hope that the, the learning and the engagement is happening through that um, intrinsic reward. Of, of being a learner and being successful. I think that, that's the important part. In terms of the pedagogy work, yes, knowing the nature of the curriculum, but it's really important to know the nature of learning and what subject areas need inquiry base or where can you, you know, what level of scaffolding do you give to students or what's the sequence of, of teaching in a particular area? Um, that whole nature of the learning is really important. And then the actual student, the, knowing your child or students that you've got in class and what can we do to support them? What's their interest? Where's their voice and choice in the way that they want to demonstrate their learnings or engage with their learnings too? 
So as we wrap up this conversation, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Teachers are doing a top job for the, the work that they're doing at the moment and in terms of the, the conditions and the complexities that we have. Some schools have had a lot of sickness and a lot of illness and lots and not just for staff but for kids and that does interrupt the learning process. They're the complexities and the context in which we're working in at the moment that need additional consideration. So we can do really good marking guides, we can do really good assessment tasks, we can make really good considerations in terms of students and their learning and the nature of the learning and that. But if, if people aren't at the table, how else do we provide the those opportunities? And, you know, is that where there is the opportunity to still embrace with some of the virtual learning um, work that we learnt, you know, two years ago? How do we um, enable that? Well, thanks, Kath and Susan. It's been great having the conversation with you about curriculum and pedagogy. So I understand, Susan, that Kath has sidepassed the Fast Five that aren't so fast because she has already done them in an earlier episode. So, Susan, are you ready to play? Yes, we're good. Great. Okay, so Susan, when and where was your first teaching appointment? In 2002. Um, at Capella State School and I had year three. Wow, yep. so you're very much a CQ graduate and not moved too far. Well, no, I went to Mackay after that, um, taught there for a few years and then came back out west. Yeah, so a true CQ heart. That's right. Susan, when you think about your work, what was the last thing that made you smile? Oh, look, every day I walk into the Emerald office, I smile. But the last thing that made me smile was when I came into this school here thinking I was going to find the quietest office to do this podcast. Just as we started, um, the world's most competitive handball game with some senior students has just started outside of this um, building and it's created so much noise that I'm sorry if you can hear any of that. But if you don't smile, you go crazy, right? <laughs> I call it keeping it real. <laughs> Susan, what's your best book or film recommendation? Oh, film, definitely Game of Thrones. Definitely. Great. Second that. <laughs> and what's your favourite quote? Um, look, The Heart Wants What It Wants or Else It Doesn't Care by Emily Dickinson in 1862. Um I think there's a lot of truth to having your heart in it when you're doing a lot of work, but I also, you know, say that as an excuse when I go shopping too. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> and Susan, as far as things to see in CQ, what's our best kept secret? Oh, look, you know what? I've just ventured over the Thompson River two days ago and um, I'd never been out of Longreach, but when you go past the Thompson River, it's just amazing how the scenery just changes. And you wouldn't think that it would change much from grass and, and trees, but just the landscape, the, um, the the weeds, the plants, everything, it's it is actually quite different and it is quite breathtaking. It's it's it is CQ's best kept secret, I'd say. Yeah, it is a beautiful part of the world. Well, Thank you, Susan, for playing along. 
And thank you, Kath and Susan, for joining me for this episode. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite, Trudy. Yeah, thanks, Trudy. If you have suggestions or recommendations for future episodes, or you'd like to give us the gift of feedback, you can email us at cqcommunications at qed.qld.gov.au. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You'll find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Deezer, and also now Spotify. And if you know of an educational leader in central Queensland who may also enjoy listening to the conversations, please help us spread the word by telling them about the podcast or forwarding the email that comes each fortnight with the show notes. Thanks, Trudy. Would you believe the kids just went back into class and it's quiet? Thank you for listening to Central Queensland Region's Reading and Learning Podcast. We trust this conversation has given you the information and inspiration to lead so that every student in our region succeeds.